you can't get much for five bucks these days. Unless you go to Wendy's for a $5 biggie bag. Get your choice of double stack, junior bacon cheeseburger, or crispy chicken BLT. Plus four-piece nugs, fries, and a drink. All for just five bucks. That was smooth, wasn't it? That's how you're going to feel when you get that biggie bag at Wendy's. U.S. price and participation may vary. Includes four-piece nuggets, small soft drink, and small fry. Prices may be higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Hello, everyone. Greetings from the subtropical climes of Key Largo. This is Jim the Keys bartender coming to you. I I guess... Am I live? No. You, you wouldn't know, would you? Yes, you would, because it would be streaming. Well, we're in the subtropics. We're in... As I said, you know, this time of year is very busy. And we get all different types down here. But we still have to do our everyday grind, the things that we have to do, even though we have uh, deadlines, uh, taxes that have to be filed, works that need, work that needs to be done. I, on one hand, am working on my marketing for something that I'm doing on the side, and I'm not going to get into detail on that, but all I'm saying is my first instincts are always the worst instincts when I come up with branding or names or things. The names, I'm usually pretty good. I look at domain names and make sure that I can get a hold of the domain name and then go with the name of the you know small company to fit that. I've always thought that just putting your, slapping your name on a company was kind of a I don't even know how to call it how to call it as a some I, I wouldn't call it narcissistic but it could be short sighted unless you know it's a law firm and you put your name on it it says partners or MD you know that it's a law firm or, or a doctor a practice but I always like putting the location of where you operate in and the type of business you do. Hence, I always did those things, delivery for the keys. It was a delivery service for the key Largo. It didn't go off too well because I was right at the height of the ever-burgeoning online applications where I started doing things like that. All the delivery services coming from food to just general general delivery. And then I got into... What was it? More airport shuttle service. I got taxis and transportation or something. I used delivery for the keys name for that because I didn't have to change the name that much. Because I am delivering people. It's kind of a different thing. It sounds kind of like I was delivering bodies or something like that. And then I did keys baby rentals. We don't rent babies. So baby furniture and equipment for people that were vacationers. That was a good one, but then there was competition with that. I didn't want to. I didn't want to go and compete with the bottom line. It's just directly going down. The only way to compete with that that is 
to, you know, there's only a, a, an amount of exceptional service and timing that could offset the prices dropping so drastically. The prices were going down to half of what I was charging, so I decided to get at, at you know, get out of that business. And then lastly, the remnant of all the other business was my notary service. Boy, I'm having a hard time speaking today, aren't I? And that thing, that thing has always been, it's a low initial cost. So I always thought that was a good thing. And then I put in the name, the Keys Notary, because that was available. I would have put in Florida Keys Notary or anything like that, but the Keys Notary was left. And it's simpler. And the people that see it down here, they know it's not the title is pretty descriptive i don't have to put it on like keys baby rentals we don't rent babies the keys notary is i'm a notary and i work in the keys that's pretty much it but then i had to put a list of services and i just added a certification so i wanted to have a new branding for it and the first card that i came up with in the first week was actually the the car design wasn't horrible, but what happened is I was so fast with it. I The lettering on the back of the card is light gray on white. That was stupid. It looked, when I was designing the card, it looked more contrasting when I did it. So luckily, I only order 100 at a time when I'm initially building a design. Yeah, you pay a lot more per card. But you're not sitting on 500 cards or 1,000 cards and that you have to give away and you're stuck with a shitty card. So the f- the first one I did is almost always like a one-off. Like I'm not going to do anything with it. Uh, I'll use it just so I can give someone a card. And they may look at it and say, hey, this is a shitty card. It's almost the first one. Every first card a business I develop seems every first rollout of a card is shitty the design just a rule of thumb and the last one's better I think I'm good with branding I'm good with branding I'm simple about that stuff I'm not simple there's a commercial on television called Rock Auto and Rock Auto and it's an online application or online website for ordering all the parts you need for a vehicle and it looks like a guy who designed the animation for it was just took an AV class in you know sophomore year of high school and they have a music and it looked like it was designed by someone locally and they're rolling it out nationally and they said well we don't have to spend any more this is what our commercial is it looks cheesy but we're selling parts that are made by someone else. So the commercial, I guess they thought dollars and cents. We're not going to be paying some. I'm sure there's people. I, I have this thing say Madison Avenue. I don't know if Madison Avenue still does advertising anymore. But Madison Avenue was the this headquarters for advertising in the United States. And... I'm sure there's people calling them up and say, hey, listen, you're a big company. Why the fuck are you having this five and dime, nickel and dime commercial? So that's what I think about when I 
put out something. I say, hey, man, do I want to look real cheap? I Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. So, well, I kind of weigh it with the ideas. If I don't go and do it, I don't get the word out, and it's just a slow rollout. So I just have a tendency to try to jump in the pool. That's it. I'm not going to keep on talking about this anymore. So let's get to talking about drinks, cocktails, and all sorts of things like that. If you've ever seen the movie The Jerk, it stars Steve Martin. It's a comedy. And he's an adopted... I don't want to give away the whole thing. For some of our younger listeners, if you get the chance to see the movie The Jerk, Steve Martin, there's this scene in it where the characters just become wealthy from an invention he uh, created. And he wants to really... He has an image on what a wealthy person looks like. So he has a butler, a maid, and he sees an advertisement in the magazine. And the magazine is of a person he views as wealthy holding a cocktail. And he gets his butler or barman to make him that kind of cocktail with the umbrella and shit like that. And he goes, yeah. And he holds it. And he goes, and he holds it in his hand. He goes, now I'm here. I finally arrived. Right? I finally arrived. People think they're, they're put off by the images. They're, they're put off by the image. They try to emulate the image of things they admire. So... The commercials, we, we are inundated with commercials like that. When you see a Crown Royal commercial where a guy is walking down the street with a bag of Crown Royal and he's showing up to someone's house. It could be a mentor's house. I, I just have this vision. It is a real artsy commercial. And this young fella in his mid-20s shows up with a bottle of Crown Royal and they're drinking it neat. And they're well-dressed in urban urban wear and it's really kind of classy and stuff like that and it's funny you know that some people may, may want to identify with that or the martini the James Bond martini you know Gordon's gin they, he calls for Gordon's gin and Gordon's gin is kind of a shit gin but when he orders it in Casino Royale I think he orders Gordon's gin half Gordon's gin half something vodka Lillet for his martini. And you, you have that, or you have the Coors Light commercial where they used to have the Silver Bullet and they had a bunch of girls show up in bikinis and and that's kind of fun, you know? I mean, obviously down here, if you go down to the sandbar, yes, there's a bunch of girls in bikinis drinking light beer. And you can identify with that. But a lot of times when you see you go to these bars at late at night, people drinking light beer. It's not the same image. And some people think while they're drinking, this is the same one that image of the person is drinking. If someone's drinking champagne or a cosmopolitan, a martini, well-dressed, well, the, a lot of times people aren't. They start out that way and they don't. So, But they identify with a drink. And a drink is something, like I used to drink bourbon, neat. It didn't make me a fucking cowboy. 
I just go in there and say, I'll take a, a, you know, a bourbon neat. Or it could be a bullet uh, bourbon or a maker's mark. I wasn't, I wasn't fucking John Wayne just because I was drinking that. It didn't make me um, feel that way necessarily. But there's all sorts of drinks, especially down here when someone says, I'm going to, I'm in the tropics. I want to get something tropical. Well, you're going to get either, uh, let's see, you can get a, uh, a rum punch. You could get a, what's that one called? A rum runner. I keep on forgetting that one. That's the local drink down here, rum runner, pina colada, frozen margaritas, which... You know, that really gets fucked up, frozen margaritas. Because first of all, you know, you're blending in. You got to put a lot of sugar in the margarita in order to make that ice like a Slurpee. Otherwise, if people say it's really watered down when you use the frozen margarita, well, that's what happens. A lot of places don't make frozen margaritas. People order frozen margaritas at places that don't have those machines. And you have to have heavier syrup and stuff like that. But I digress. So when you order that, and let me tell you about the rum punch. You order a Mai Tai, rum punch, hurricane. You're practically getting the same drink each time. Or any drink. Because people just throw a bunch of rum in it. Pineapple, orange, a little red stuff, and that's it. We, I have a regular that comes in, and they always order. They, well, they don't always order. Sometimes he orders a Irish coffee. He likes it with the Baileys, Jameson's, and whipped cream. But he and his girlfriend, they like the B-52 shot. And I always had to remember, I had to remember what layer goes first. And he goes, layer. I say, yeah, that's a layered shot. Because there's a lot of things. If you're using a clear liquid, like obviously a kamikaze, somewhat clear, you know, lime juice, vodka, triple sec. That's a classic kamikaze. B-52 is Bailey's. Gramignet and Kahlua. And you have to remember how to layer it. I'm going to tell you how to do it right now. You do equal parts, and it should be less than a shot each unless you want to fuck someone up real quick because you want to do a, at least a half a shot, no more no more than half a shot because then you'd, you'd be giving them one and a half shots of each. And in order to layer, you got to put it in this order. Kahlua, Bailey's and Gramonier. And it's easier, easiest to do with a pourer when you're pouring it because you're going to pour the clue in just like anyway. And then Bailey's, either use a spoon or a cherry. And what you're doing is you're putting the back end, the convex side of the spoon, dip it into that next layer and you pour the Baileys over the top of the spoon so it doesn't pour directly into the Kahlua. So it kind of lays on top. It starts falling to the top. Because the liquor's different weight. So it, it'll do that. And then once you got the Baileys in, you do the same thing with the Grand Meunier. Pour it across the, the convex, uh, convex side of the spoon ever so gently using a pour. So it doesn't drop into the next liquid that fast. You're just letting it slide off the spoon. You could do that with a cherry. 
You just dip the cherry in, pour it, pour it on top of the cherry, let it run down the side of the cherry. And if you have those proclivities, you, give, you can give the cherry to someone. And it's coated with liquid and stuff like that. So each, if you do it correctly, you have three distinct layers. And that's one of those things you can do at certain bars when you have time. And obviously, if you're paying $12 for a shot like that, you, it better be layered. Other people have done it. They said they go to places and it's shaken up and put in there. Uh, I'll attempt to do it. If it's real busy, I mean, it may come out a little muddy. We say muddy. The layers bleed into each other. But most of the time, it should look pretty, you know, you should see the dark light and lighter. Uh, There's some lady that comes in. She orders a vodka and soda, regular rail vodka. But she wants the lemon and lime muddled. I don't know what she's doing, muddled, because a muddle is the same as squeezing. It is if you're doing it right. You're, you're muddling the, the fruit in there. I guess she doesn't want people squeezing, you know, putting their fingers on their fr- uh, her fruit. But I guess, I don't know when she's ordering it. She doesn't reali- realize you're getting people to put their fingers in your drink more. Just the way it is. Oh, there was this guy... They used to come in and order Bloody Marys when I worked with this other bartender. And she'd always get a special rim for it. Some kind of chili pepper rim. And the guy come in and she'd go and start doing it. I said, why are you doing this? This guy's sitting at a table. He never asked for it. You remember it. And uh, it turned out he was tipping her on the side. Right? And we split tips, but I never, I never saw any of it. Now the guy comes in, and he, you know, I, he never tipped me for it. So I'm not, I don't know if the guy's there. I don't look for the guy. If he wanted one, I would do it. I certainly would attach a different charge to it. There's people that come in, they want the, they have their martinis, and martini drinkers sometimes are the worst. They come in and they ask for. When I say worst, the worst are giving descriptions. They don't tell you anything the way they like martini. He said, this person makes martini great. Well, tell me how you want your martini, right? I'll make it that way. If you want an olive and a lemon twist, I'll put it in. If you want the, the vermouth to be swirled around your glass and dumped out, I'll do that. But don't make the assumption to say and ask somebody, hey, do you make a good so-and-so? Well, why don't you give me a little criteria for what makes that drink good? And then I'll make it for you. It's not that hard, really. Just tell me exactly what you want. And I'm not saying that these drinks, just because you've seen someone drink it, as your favorite sports figure, if you, you know, never see, you don't see Tom Brady around booze. But it's funny, after the Super Bowl, he was fucked up on a boat when he tossed the Lombardi trophy from one boat to the next. He did look like he was fucked up. If he was pretending to be fucked up, that was a stupid image too, just to make him look like every man. Maybe there's a possibility he did something like that. And he did something stupid in order to look more more every man. So, I'm not saying that 
just because D. Martin always had a martini, you have a martini, you're wearing a tuxedo, you're fucking D. Martin. Remember, D. Martin really didn't drink. That was more of an image thing for him. I have one rough-looking customer that comes in. He's a friend of mine now. He's from upstate New York. He has his gravelly voice, goatee. He recently looked like uh, he has one of those big Hemingway beards or old ship captain's beards. He comes up and he goes, give me a fresh and fruity Rudy tootie. And he just likes vodka, pineapple with a splash of club soda. And he wants a, a fruit in it, like an orange and a cherry and an umbrella. And the guy, he, he just absolutely loves it. It's like that scene from Steve Martin. He's holding it up because this is the best drink I have. You know, it's no, it's just rail vodka and pineapple and club soda with a little fruit on it. But that's pretty much it for the extent. He doesn't look any better or worse at the beginning of the night or the end of the night. But there are people like that, that when they come in, and it happens a lot at, at events. When I talk about events, social events, I come from a background in catering for years. And I can almost tell you the time. If you give me a general smattering of people, of some group of people, not all one particular group, but 20 people out of a 200-person party, and you showed me timeline photos, gave me five timelines, five timelines, Five different photos from the first hour, second hour, third, fourth, fifth at the end. I could almost probably put those in order. Now, some people may get a little, some people may throw that off and get a little more cleaned up as the time goes. But generally, that is not the case. And I'll tell you the case in the wedding. At a wedding, in where I come from, in a lot of places on the East Coast, Northeast part of the United States, these local middle, upper middle class places, they'd have five-hour open bars, four-hour open bars. Now, they vary from community to community depending on what their, you know, what their views on drinking was. Obviously, some groups didn't drink that much. Very religious, Protestant groups. You didn't see that. But in Catholic neighborhoods, holy shit. And I knew that. Five-hour open bar. That's the package, at least the place I worked, and a lot of the other places offered. And when one place offered it and the other place didn't, they generally go to the the place that had a five-hour open bar. Five-hour affair, five-hour open bar. They only shut down during the announcements. That's when they would ask the wedding party in and introduced the new bride and groom and all the members of the people. They'd shut down for like 10, 15 minutes during that just to get the people away from the bar. And there's a general demeanor with the wedding party. You see in the beginning because normally people want to have all their pictures taken. You got to have them taken in the beginning. Right at the beginning. In between the ceremony and the reception. Because if you wait too long, your wedding party is going to get fucked up. And you're going to have a... And the longer you wait to have these pictures taken, 
the harder it is to get those pictures taken, get people to pose, get a nice picture and things like that. So people always probably say, listen, this is a wedding album. We're going to need the wedding album. We're going to be looking at the wedding album because we're going to, you know, Uncle Uncle Tom, you're going to have to watch what you're drinking. Or get Uncle Tom in front of the camera early. You get those people, you know, you, to, you better do that. Don't wait till the wedding party and try to drag them out. And they used to do that on Friday weddings because Friday weddings, the reception wouldn't, there wouldn't be a gap between the ceremony and the, and the reception. They'd have a, you know, like a five o'clock wedding, 5.30 wedding, and then seven o'clock reception. And they'd have like a half hour. Now, if they were smart, they'd get all the groom's pictures and the bridesmaid's pictures and the, the family pictures taken prior. Break with the... Uh, Tradition. When you have enough time, you got to do it. You get you, so you don't miss the party. But they used to give a really good deal for Friday weddings for receptions because of that, that case. You know, Saturday you had more time. Now the early wedding, not so much. We used to do like two weddings in a day, where one would start at like either twelve to five or twelve thirty to five thirty, and then the next one starts and normally. No earlier than 6.30, 11.30. And an hour break over. We changed the room over and stuff like that. Now, the evening Saturdays, that's when they had the most time. And that's when you had to you get all those pictures taken and stuff like that. But I'm not. I'm talking about the guests now. And the guests, the bridal party is part of the guests. So the first hour, you see the people loosen up, hanging out, usually hors d'oeuvres. They'd have hors d'oeuvres. At, they'd have a really great hors d'oeuvre hour at the place. The drove hour was like a buffet. Was a buffet. They had you know, walking tray service with all all this different stuff with shrimp, pigs in a blanket, pasta station, um, you know, ramaki, all all different things. You know, little baby lamb chops or anything you want. And then they had a little buffet with different items, you know, which they used to have wings. Wings are the hardest thing to eat when you're at a wedding. Why would you eat wings? Wings are great. I understand wings are great. People love wings. But that's a happy hour food. And a wedding isn't necessarily a happy hour. But they used to do wings. And I always thought, man, there's a way, you know, if you're in a tuxedo, you're going to eat hot wings. And you're getting pictures taken. You're, they're going to fucking kill you. The bride, the bride's going to kill you if you get fucked up. So the first hour, people are loosening up. They're having drinks. They're going to say they figure out it's open bar. A lot of people in the area they expect it when they go to weddings. But people that are visiting from out of town, if you have a relative from central part of the state, from more rural part of the state, they're usually surprised. They go, "What do you mean? The bar's open?" And they can start. Oh my God! It's like coming across a slot machine that's paying out, and you're just fucking trying to stuff all the coins in your pocket, trying to do it. So that first hour, I can pretty much tell, but everyone's pretty much neat. And then you go into the second hour; people are eating and things like that. They're generally neat, but you can see there there could be a couple people that aren't eating; they're drinking. They're just drinking their meal 
But generally, they're well-behaved. The third hour is when things start lighting up. You start seeing little chinks in the armor there. You know, they're having a hard time getting their aunts and uncles together and getting their pictures taken. There's ceremonial things that are getting ready. They, they just did a couple, they just did a bunch of dances and stuff. And the fourth hour, that's when you see the bride has a little cake in her hair. The groom's shirt tails open, ties off, could have a chicken wing stain on his white tuxedo shirt. You could have a groomsman could be making out with the bride's aunt. You know, there's dirty songs playing. It could be like one of the songs from the window to the wall to the sweat runs down my balls. All that shit. Bride is unhappy because something her dad said. Your 14-year-old cousin's maybe hitting up the half-drank, the drunk, or... What we call stubbies. We used to call them stubbies. Half, half uh, full whiskey sours, screwdrivers, seven and seven, whatever they have. Sea breezes. Kids just drinking everything, getting fucked up, and you know. And then everyone's knows at this point. Everyone knows the woman that went to catch the bouquet that was thrown, and she slipped and fell. That she wasn't wearing any underwear. All that stuff has happened. And more than once. And more than once. And it's always, it's just a sin. And it's as a group of people. Now there's always outliers there. There's people that get totally, there's people passed out. There's people passed out. And I did that at a wedding. I did a wedding recently in Poland. But then again, that was vodka, 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 vodka. For It was a, a 10 hour reception. It was a minimum of 10 hours. It was like 8 and 4. About, yeah, maybe 11 hours. Yeah, with booze the whole time. So I wasn't the only one there. So that wasn't unusual. And there's people that don't drink. Now that's a whole different kettle of fish. And it's really interesting when you go to a wedding where there's no bar and people just are panicking and go, what? And they're insulted. I said, you got invited to a wedding. And you're going there to show respect for people. Sit there. I know it's a Saturday, Saturday night. You don't get to drink. Um, chances are it's not going to be very late if they have no booze. So you can, you'll can, have time. You'll have time to engage in that. But that's pretty much it. And people don't generally at the end of the night after five-hour affair, they look significantly different than they did when they went in. So whatever you were drinking, whether you're drinking martinis, bourbon, some kind of like sea breeze or beer or wine, if you imbibe enough, you are so far from that image in the beginning that you had of yourself than at the end. So don't worry about what you're drinking, if you drink at all. You know, I miss, this is on a separate note, I miss traveling. I miss the excitement that comes with traveling. Now, I know some people during this pandemic have felt comfortable doing the travel, and that's up to them. And I'm thankful for it in the Keys because we've had business, and it kept us afloat because of that. And that's what I primarily use for income down here, bartending. 
And without those people, I would be in a different, I'd be in dire straits, my family and I. But what I miss is the feeling of just going to a place, a strange place. A place that I have positive expectations. And I know it's not great to always have expectations, but when you dream of going someplace, it's an aspiration. When you want to go to Bali, you want to go to Rome, you want to go to Paris, you want to go to Krakow, you want to go to uh, Machu Picchu in South America, right? You want to see the Inca ruins. You want to go to Easter Island. It's just, just you have an expectation of what you want to see. And you, 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 you're excited about it, right? And, and you're excited about the traveling. You're excited about all the possibilities. I mean, there are positive expectations when it comes to something like that. And you, it's good not to have too many. Because then you're saying, oh, this is not uh, what I expected. I wanted this. I wanted that. I want, just a general positive expectation. A negative expectation is like the first time you go to prison, I guess, or a jail cell. I could tell you the first time I was in a jail cell. I When they told me when I got in trouble for drinking and driving and they put me in a jail cell overnight in Philadelphia, my expectation wasn't the prison expectation, but I didn't think it was going to be good. I guess I was under diminished capacity too at the time. But in the end, I mean, I had a negative connotation, but in the end, I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, the bread was fresh and the cheese, you know, cheese sandwich was okay. They gave you water. I was able to sneak in my cigarettes by putting them in my shoe. And I made friends in the jail cell because of that. Having the cigarettes, no other other reasons. I wasn't in prison, so there wasn't even the temporary need for anybody looking for a partner. Right? That's jail, not prison. So that that's a negative one, but it could turn positive. A positive expectation could turn negative when you say, well, I expected this. I expected when I went to Paris that everyone was going to be nice and I was going to not have to speak any French and they weren't going to laugh at me for wearing sandals with socks. But that's more of a European thing, right? I can't wait till we do that again. I'm ready for that. I don't think I'm going to go this year because who wants to spend... Unless I don't have to. If I didn't have to spend time in a quarantine, I think I'd still go. I'd go tomorrow. I want to see my, I want to go and visit my family. But that's more of a, out of an, um, I'm just going to say it's more obligatory. I'm not going there for sightseeing. But I want to go someplace to sightsee and meet, uh, be in different places. It's just exciting to me. Uh, and if you want to be in a different place and you were thinking about coming to the Keys, when you're in the Upper Keys, check out the Catch Restaurant at Mile Marker 102. It's open Monday through Sunday, every day of the week for lunch and dinner. Monday through Friday, they have a happy hour, 3.30 to 6.30, with great prices on food and drink. And they have their daily specials. And if you do go fishing and you catch some fish and have it filleted by your mates on that boat they'll cook it for you 
It's a great deal. And there's a nice selection of non-seafood dishes for those people that don't fancy themselves seafood aficionados. So come to the catch at Mile Marker 102 Oceanside. And when you come there, tell them that the Keys bartender sent, sent you. I'd like to thank you for listening. It's uh, been a pleasure today. And if you do like the show, please share it with your friends. If you have any questions, please send an email to jim at keysbartender.com. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And leave a review if you could. Thank you.